With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 45 of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast in partnership with CPL. We're recording this the day after a 3-2 series loss to South Africa. So we're going to review the T20 series which has just taken place and I'm joined by none other than he's flying his Jamaica flag proudly behind him still, Mashel St. Patrick Hewitt. Mash, how are you doing? You know, I'm good, you know, and um, with the Gold Cup starting starting uh, in a couple of, what, 10 days or so, go get that Jamaica flag out, you know, as the reggae boys try and bring the trophy home. But like you say, Santoki, um, it's it's the morning after the night before. Um, West Indies have gone down 3-2 in, uh, in the series with South Africa, but lots of people probably tuning in going ha 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 but let's get straight off the let's get straight off the bat from the beginning santoki we're still going to win the world cup you know definitely we're still we're still bold in our claims you know coming bosi the thing is bilateral series we'll get onto this bilateral series don't necessarily reflect form going into a world cup and west indies have proven in the last decade that when it comes to tournaments we have the ability to step up but we're going to analyze it bit by bit mash so um let's get into it most definitely, most definitely. And um, for those who are watching on the visuals, um, you'll see that we've added a bit of a tweak here where we're going to put the talking points up on the screen. Now, before we get into that first talking point, which says, well, what were the negatives uh, of that of that series defeat and uh, the five games that we've just seen? First things first, though, let, let's not let's not front. Let, let's let's call it as we see it. South Africa were um, worthy winners at the end of the day when you win a series it doesn't really matter how you win it if you win it you win it and let's praise the South Africans all five games in fact that's a lie apart from the first game where West Indies where everything clicked for West Indies um, all the remaining four games were really close contests and South Africa came out um, overall winners let's just praise them on a really well hard-fought victory um, for them, but this is a this is a Caribbean cricket podcast, and ultimately we're focusing on the West Indies and what we've learned um, ahead of the World Cup, which kicks off in about three months' time. And Santoki, let's get into let's let's deal with the negatives first. Um, mm-hmm. What were the negatives from your perspective? Because I'm not sure that there's that many, but the ones that exist are kind of big. 
Yeah, I think the main concern for West Indies is bowling. Bowling's when you look at that lineup, one to eight, the power is there. You know, someone's ultimately, hopefully, going to step up in that batting lineup. But for me, the bowling is where we could falter, especially in UAE. We've mentioned this on previous podcasts. You're going to need two world-class spinners. We've obviously got Fabian Allen, who was injured for the last T20, and that made a massive difference. Outside of Fabian Allen, I'm still, I don't think we're any closer to working out who's going to be that second spinner on the basis that at the moment, it looks like Sunil Narayan is not going to play for West Indies at the moment. I mean, things could change. He could come in last minute. But at the moment, in terms of a contingency plan, I don't think anyone stepped up into that second spin-off position, which is going to be massive on UAE pitches. 100%. And let me caveat that, because some people might actually take umbrage with what you said there, Santelki, and they might say, well, hold on a minute. West Indies restricted South Africa to 160-odd in pretty um, in pretty much every single um, um, T20. And, of course, the ones where we won, they um, there were a few where they got like 140-odd. Now, what... I think Santolki means here is we're not saying the bowling is weak or poor. What we are saying, though, is that when it gets to the UAE, we are going to need a spinner. And Santolki is 100% correct. I don't think we're any closer. Kevin Sinclair did better than he did versus Sri Lanka. But my concern with Sinclair is he's not a big spinner of the ball. And I think elite 2020 players are going to go after him. And as you correctly point out, Santolki, we're no closer to understanding if Sunil Narayan is going to be ready in time. And if he isn't, boy, it could be difficult, you know, because the, 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 what Sunil Narayan brings is, it's not even about wicket taking for Sunil Narayan is what Sunil Narayan brings is he guarantees that we are going to get four overs from someone where mm-hmm. they're going to go at seven and a half and under every single time without fail, because people still respect Sunil enough to basically try and play him out um, for yeah. four overs. And, I don't think, even with Fabian, we've got no guarantee with Fabian himself, never mind an extra spinner, that they're going to be able to to, to lower the economy rate. So I think that is definitely an issue uh, that we, we've yet to find some answers for. Um, would you would you experiment with some... Hayden Walsh is in the squad. Yeah. He didn't play any games. What, what's yeah. your view on that? Uh, I was going to say, I think this is reflective of the fact that Hayden Walsh isn't necessarily in their plans for the World Cup. First eleven. The fact that they didn't play him in the series. I mean, we still got ten T twenties left to play against Pakistan and Australia, so we could very well come in for that. But I think it's very strange that they would have played Sinclair for three games. Obviously, they played Allen for for the games until he was injured, and then not try Hayden Walsh at all. Based on the fact as well, he hasn't been in the side in previous series. It doesn't really seem to bode well for Hayden Walsh. Um, it could be how he's performing in nets and training. But um, for me, the fact that they didn't even give him one game um, in this series. Either means they're resting him to play a complete series against Australia and Pakistan, like the full five games to show what he can do, or he's just not in their plans at the moment. It's hard to tell, really, because we haven't really seen much of him. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I think I'm hoping that Hayden is in is playing most of the games versus Australia, because I can't see why you wouldn't have played him in one, um, mm-hmm. at just one of the games, games, particularly in a series where we knew that spin was dominating. We saw what... Uh, George Linder and Shamsi, they were <laughs> they were spinning webs rather yeah. <laughs> the West Indians, and we didn't turn to Hayden um, at any point in time. So let's see if he plays in that Australia series. But there's an issue with us not having another spinner, but then there's another issue with spin and our batsmen, Santoli. Yeah, just the, the inability to play spin is something that's come up. Again, it's, it's hard to know whether 
the West Indians weren't playing to their best ability against spin. And when it comes to, because when it comes to UAE, I'm confident that we've had enough players, Pollard, Russell, Hetmeyer, Puran, who have played spin in India in the UAE to be able to navigate that. But obviously, as you said, in this one, Shamsi was looking like Murali at some points, um, completely bamboozling the batsman. And no offence to Shamsi, he wouldn't say he's necessarily an elite world-class spin bowler. So the fact he unravelled our batsman is a concern. But again, how far do you take a performance in a bilateral T20 international series and say that's reflective of them game time in a World Cup when they've got bags of matches behind them and they're in peak condition and they're pumped up for a tournament? It's hard to know whether you can correlate the two. Yeah, one hundred again, one hundred percent. And I think we're not we're not trying to make excuses for the West Indies. Some of the batting against Shamsi in particular was making me tear my hair out. The 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 failure to just like I I kept tweeting saying at least just milk him for some singles. At, at least we were playing him like every single ball was a hand grenade. Um, and it was only until the last T twenty where he he got one for eleven. Now obviously that sounds like he's the greatest spin bowler of all time. And like Rashid Khan needs to learn lessons of Shamsi or something. But I don't mind one for 11 if he's not taking wickets. Mm. But in, in the previous uh, T20s, he was taking wickets and going for basically no runs. So you have to have some kind of strategy. Either you're saying he, someone's the gun spinner. We're just going to play him out and accept he's going to go for somewhere between 10 to 15 runs because we, we don't know what we're doing. Or you have to find a way to milk the singles. What you don't do is try and blast them for four and six because that's the only thing you know how to do. And then you're just giving wickets away. And I felt, if I specifically look at uh, George Linder as well, is I felt that we gave a lot of our wickets away to to Mm. spin as well because we were unsure of what our strategy uh, was to to, to the spinners. And we, we were banking too much on what we could do against the pacers. Mm. Well, I guess West Indies have historically revolutionised T20 cricket with their boundary percentages. Essentially, play out dot balls and back yourself to hit boundaries to chase totals or put up big scores. However, you could argue, has the game evolved beyond that at the moment? So is it wise to just go for boundaries now when, as you said, it means that against the spinner, you're either going to hole out or get a boundary, which is a high-risk game, which could pay off in the tournament. But also, as we saw in the South Africa series, there's obviously a risk to it in that you're not rotating strike, you're building pressure to score boundaries. And when, as we saw in yesterday's T20, when there is pressure on batsmen to hit every ball for a boundary towards the end of a chase, they can fall to it, as we saw with Hetmeyer and Poran. They hold out trying to swing because they were under pressure to get boundaries. So it's whether West Indies stick to their tried and tested formula for success, which is go for high boundary percentages. Back yourself, we've got enough players who can hit sixes and fours to chase the target. Or if you adapt now to the situation and the modern game where you're going to need players to rotate strike and build singles, because that's the only way you can um, kind of succeed against these bowlers who are more who are more adept and have adapted to this kind of style of boundary hitting. Yeah, most definitely. And it'll be interesting to see, not so much the Australia series. I think... Mm-hmm. A couple of people got us at us saying um, Adam Zampa is going to do the exact same things the West Indies. I'm not so certain about that. And maybe that's famous last words. But when Pakistan turn up in August, I want to see what lessons have we learned by the, yeah. by the time we play Pakistan um, in the T20s. Because every single international team should be studying what happened to us against Sri Lanka, what happened to us against South Africa, and see the obvious weakness. And you better believe 
they're going to be coming at us um, with a spin attack um, when we play them. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what lessons um, we've learned. And the reason why I say what lessons have we learned is because we lost 3-2, Santos, but 3-2, it... I'm okay. I'm speaking to the fans here now or supporters of the podcast more than I'm speaking to you, Santoki. I am not saying this to um, try and excuse a 3-2 series defeat, but Santoki, the series defeat doesn't actually matter. We have 15 or we had 15. We've now got 10 games left as a team before the World Cup. Plus there's CPL, plus there's IPL for players to find individual form just before the World Cup. I'm not understand. All the people are like, ha, you lost 3-2. Santoki, to me, who wins and who loses is actually irrelevant. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to parallel it with football, this is essentially friendly matches before a tournament. Um, Bilateral series, T20 internationals, I'm talking about specifically, are essentially geared up just specifically to finding out your best team for a World Cup. So in the grand scheme of things, this time next year, if we won the World Cup, nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, but you lost 3-2 to South Africa. It will be irrelevant. It would have been seen as a learning curve towards helping us win the World Cup. So in that regard, I'm happy that we experimented. We saw a lot of experimentation um, in the series throughout the squad because we need to work out the fine... We've, we've obviously got the core of the squad sorted out. We need to fine-tune some aspects of the squad. And there's no better time to do that than in these T20 bilateral series. And I expect them to do the same against Australia and Pakistan because it's all for the greater good in terms of winning that tournament. So completely agree with you, Mashal. I think whilst it is disappointing, we're West Indian fans, we want to win. We want to win every series we play in. At the same time, we're not going to get too down about losing 3-2 because we know there's a bigger picture at stake here. Yeah, and to, to try and flip this for people, just in case you think, oh, you you two, you're always trying to, when West Indies are good, you're always boasting that <laughs> when West Indies lose, you're always trying to find excuses. But to put this in perspective for people, if we beat Australia 5-0, yeah, we'll boast about it. But the reality is that actually matters as little as losing 3-2 to South Africa. All that matters about these T20 games is... By the time it's all said and done, have we worked out what our combinations are? Do we have a plan A, B, C, D for various different um, teams and strategies and, and so on and so forth? And if it means that we lose to South Africa, the series that is, we lose to Australia, we lose to Pakistan, to be honest, so what? And I, I give people this caveat. When we won the World Cup in 2016, we played two international games in the year leading up to the World Cup. And lots of people will be like, oh, but that was 2016. That was a long time ago. But the point is, what we're saying is players' 2020 experience around the world is so massive that to me, what's more important, Santoki, is what's their form saying by the time mm -hmm. they get to the World Cup? So Chris Gale, let's, uh, let's take Puran because people have their different issues about Gale. Puran can suck for the South Africa series, Australia series, Pakistan series. But say he goes IPL just before World Cup and Sunday's Nicholas Puran from IPL two years ago, that's more important than, what, than mm. what happened in these series. Yeah, I completely agree. And for me, the IPL is the biggest... I mean, you could, you, you'd argue that IPL is a higher quality than the World Cup because of the, the amount of world-class players taking part in that tournament. So, for instance, if Puran performs in the IPL against the Rashid Khan, you're going to say two weeks before the World Cup, you're going to say he's ready for the World Cup. Whereas here... Yeah. 
even though he's struggling and also the players won't necessarily be the same quality as IPL, it's not reflective. So for, as you said, it's completely about building building that momentum. And going back to what you said, someone like Asunil Narayan in terms of experience, he could, he could not play for West Indies again until the World Cup. And you could fly him in for the World Cup. He's played 354 T20s in his career. He can play in any role. If you said to him tomorrow, Narayan, you're opening at the top of the order. He'll know what to do. Narayan, you're bowling the power play. He'll know what to do. He, they've all got that wealth of experience. Him, Pollard, Russell, Gale, which is unparalleled in any other international side. They've seen it all. They've been in every situation. They've had to chase whatever target's been set, so many different levels of targets. They, they know they plan for every situation. And that's our massive strength going into the World Cup. Indeed. And um, we've been speaking about the, the tinkering and what went on in the series and let's get into that. So let's let's dive a bit into to, into our tinkering. I'm just going to throw out some examples, Santoki. We had Spiceman opening initially, then Lendl came in. We had Gale at three, then Hetmeyer at three. Um, we had Holder come in once at three, r- randomly. Yeah. We had Russell bowling in the power play, then not in the power play. We had Sinclair up top, then Hussain up top, then Fabian Allen up top. Um, we we had um, Fidel Edwards come in mm-hmm. after Jason Holder went out. Really and truly across the five-match series, the only players you saw in every single game was Pollard, Puran, Bravo, Obed McCoy, and Evan Lewis. Yeah, Everybody else was kind of in and out, a bit of rotation here and there. The, so the, and again... Those who are listening, I am not making excuses. We lost. Okay, yes, I get it. But what I am saying is that shows you, and I've just given you a few examples. I haven't given you all of them. We're still trying to work out combinations and what works mm. and this, that, and the other. So just talk on one of them, for example, Santoki. So for example, um, and it probably links to our next point. Actually, let me leave that point out for now. So for example, um, a Jason Holder coming in at number three after the first wicket fell like what do you think about all this tinkering that you're seeing i think they're, they're just experiment to see to see what can come off i mean even if you think about it gale coming in at number three itself is not a west indian tactical innovation it's come about because he played there in the ipl and in franchise tournaments and they've tried it out so for instance jason holder i think they were going along the lines of as you said a lot of people have talked about this so-called anchor role um which is non-existent in t20 cricket essentially but essentially what people are talking about is someone who can play to the situation and be able to rotate and accelerate when needed. So I think they were trying out, could Jason Holder potentially have that role? Um, is he someone who can soak up balls but then hit sixes when needed? Um, the fact they only tried it for one game, though, means they could just be seeing what is what is Jason Holder's ability to bat higher up the order if needed in a one-off match situation um, to play to his strength. So it's this tinkering, I can see why they're doing it. There's lots of combinations to try, but I think... The main, the main talking point for me, Mash, and I'm sure it's something um, you've obviously considered as well, is the battle for opener spots. So coming into the year 2021, we had five players. We had Brandon King, Spiceman, Lendl Simmons, Evan Lewis, Chris Gale, all kind of contending for that opener slot. I think it's fair to say Brandon King's basically been eliminated at this point. I can't mm. see Brandon King coming in. Um as, as we said, they, they mimicked the IPL and tried to kind of adapt to it by putting Gale in at number three. And then for me, Evan Lewis is a banker. He's definitely going to open. So at this point, it's who's going to open with Evan Lewis. If the World Cup was tomorrow, Mash, who would you pick to open? And would you play Gale at number three? It's a difficult one. A lot and lot of people are trying to now say that Gale is dumb. 
You know me, Jamaica flags behind me. I could never say Chris Gale is dumb. All the while Chris Gale can command an IPL contract, mm. you can't tell me that Chris Gale is done. And again, again, let me pre let me uh, preface what people are going to say. Yeah, but that's because Chris Gale's a brand and an IPL uh, a franchise is just getting him because he's a brand. Listen, IPL, you're not just getting Chris Gale just because he's a brand. Not because you wouldn't play him then. You just have him on the outskirts just doing whatever he does. What I would say is I'm not convinced by the experiment of Gale at three. I would rather Shimron Hetmeyer at three uh, and give Shimron a set responsibility of being, and we'll talk about it in a second, a T20 anchor. Um, I want Gale up at the top. That's what he knows for the West Indies. Never mind what he's doing in IPL. That's what he knows for the West Indies. I know there are huge question marks about at the age of 41, going on 42 very, very soon, um, about hand-eye coordination and susceptibility to, to high-quality pace at the front, at, at the top of an innings. But I don't know, Santo, it's, he doesn't look comfortable for me yeah. um, at number um, three. And I know he scored a 32 from like 27 in one of those mm. T20s, but it's, it's, to me, it doesn't work personally. Yeah, for me, obviously, it was at the first, I think it was the first T20 he scored 32, but that was in a that was in a situation where Lewis had essentially wrapped up the game um, mm. with his power here. And other than that, it was scores of 8, 5, 11. I mean, I know, obviously, he got the wicket, which kind of led to a viral moment where he did cartwheels and everyone was like, oh, Chris Gale, Chris Gale is back. But if you're looking at it from a statistical point of view, it was a disappointing series for him. And mm. this raises questions about whether he can succeed at number three. My, my point is, Gale's... In, in the last five, six years, Gale's philosophy has been when he comes in T20 matches as an opener, he soaks up 10 balls to kind of yeah. find his ground. And then he goes from, he said it publicly, after 10 balls, he'll go for it. Yeah, It's a high-risk strategy, which you can just about pull off as opener. If you're coming in at number three, if there's a big chase, you can't soak up 10 balls at number yeah, yeah, three yeah. because mm-hmm. the openers would have soaked up those balls. So for me, Gale coming in, soaking up balls at number three is not going to work. He has to play as opener or not. As you said, I think Hetmeyer should come in at three because a lot of people see Hetmeyer with the IPL deal, the way he plays, and think, "All right, he's a T, he's a T twenty, he's a T twenty gunslinger." Basically, he can come in and smash the ball. People forget he's an accomplished Red Bull player as well. It's why he's on the fringes of the Test side and why he's played Test match cricket. So he's someone who has the rare ability in world cricket to be able to play at the highest level in T twenties, but also navigate Red Bull cricket where you rotate strike, build up singles. So if he can kind of merge those two aspects be able to rotate, play consistently, and also accelerate when needed. He's the perfect number three. As we know with Hetmeyer, though, this has been a running thread since we started the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. It's about mentality. Hetmeyer's the sky's the limit for Hetmeyer. If he believes he can do something, he can do it. At the moment, there seems to be a mentality issue. Again, he had a disappointing series against South Africa. So you wouldn't place 100% faith in him at this moment, which is why they've tinkered with that number three position. If Hetmeyer can click mentally, he'll be the number three at the World Cup. But that's a very, very big if for Shimon Hetmeyer. Yeah, and um, it'll be really, really interesting to see what we change for Australia. Because I would like to believe that the first two T20s versus Australia... I was about to say we'd play what we think is our best team, but actually they might, like I say, they might be rotating players in that didn't get a goal, like an old Shane Thomas, for example, might suddenly see himself in. <sighs> Maybe maybe we should say Pakistan. By the time we play Pakistan, that's when we'll have a clearer idea of what we're thinking mm. about what our what our best look team is. But I like I'm with you. Ultimately, I think Hetmeyer should be in pole position um, at this moment in time, which means that which me which means for me that Gale either doesn't play or he opens. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them put Gale back up at the top just to see what he's saying. 
Um, do from, you think, from do you think Simmons has played poorly enough to get dropped though? No, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So I think, which was it, the fourth old year? I think Simmons got 40-odd from 30-odd. Yeah. Now the problem is this though. In the power play, Lewis and whoever w- w- was with him, generally speaking throughout the power play, I think four out of the five matches, they were fine. They were able to score runs, mainly because Lewis can start really quickly. And then the, the other opener can go with him. But once spin came on, it didn't matter if it was Fletcher, it didn't matter if it was Simmons, they were scrambling. Um, now, Chris Gell is a better player of spin than those two. But they would probably, but, but Fletcher and Simmons would probably play, say that they're better players of pace than him now at, at his particular age and stage in his career. So there's a lot of question marks over it. And actually, before we move to, in fact, it probably links to this next, this next point. So let me bring it up. But before we get into it, um, Santoki, lots of people are, in fact, no, it links, it links. Lots of people are tweeting us saying, bring in, bring in Shea Hope, whether oh. that be to open. <laughs> <laughs> whether that be to open or whether that be at number three um then some were saying what about darren bravo at number three and then this led to some massive debate which seems to have been going on in the, across this whole series about where stindies need an anchor where stindies need an anchor now i think when people say anchor santoki i think they think that they're talking about an odi soak up not soak up like rotate for yeah. ones anchor all the way through the innings, but you don't have that time in T20. So I'm not actually sure why people are even, I get what they, sorry, let me start again. I get what they think they mean, but what I think they, what I think they mean doesn't work in this format. Do you yeah. get where I'm coming from? Yeah, hundred percent. I think in an ODI, Shea Hope scoring 80 off 95 balls is, is a, it could be a perfect scenario. That's an anchor role because you have those balls in T20, as we said, you can't so cut balls coming down the order. As an opener, you might be able to get away with 10 maximum. But other than that, there's no such thing as an anchor as such. Essentially, what I think people mean is someone who can accumulate runs and build singles while the other batsman on the other side is swinging for sixes and boundaries. Um, it seems, obviously, as we said earlier on the show, West Indies are essentially go hard or go home at the moment. You either hit a boundary or not. So people have been calling for that stability. For me, Shai Hope should be nowhere near the T20 team. As fine as batsman as he is, he should focus on Red Bull cricket and ODI cricket because that's his speciality. To try and suddenly branch out into T20 cricket ahead of a World Cup isn't going to work. He hasn't, I don't think he has the abilities to accelerate at that level. Also, he's never played in the IPL, PSL, franchise, those big franchise tournaments. So he's not actually faced consistently world-class bowling attacks. It would be a massive leap of faith for him to suddenly jump into a World Cup and face the likes of like a Rashid Khan in UAE, for instance. So Shai helps completely ruled out. Darren Bravo... As we said, um, he's someone high quality, high experience. However, a lot of people have referenced CPL 2020, where he averaged 59 strike rate of 115. My counter argument would be is CPL with Trimbago. A lot of the times he didn't even bat because they chased the double down um, before he'd come in. When he did come in with the fight for the final, for instance, it was a low pressure situation against n- not necessarily the highest bowling attacks in the world. Darren Bravo has never really consistently played in the IPL. I know he's got deals in in the past, but he's never had a run in IPL. He's never succeeded in the IPL. He's not someone who, let's put it this way, if India scored 200 and we were trying to chase that, Darren Bravo shouldn't be batting at number three because he's not, whilst he can rotate strike and soak up the balls, he's never going to accelerate. He's never going to hit 25 in and over for you to get that. So for me, his inability to be able to accelerate means you can't have him at number three because he's only got one dimension to him, which 
it's fair enough with Test cricket, Red Bull cricket, um, Test cricket, white, white ball, fifty over cricket. But in terms of T20 cricket, you need someone, as we reference Hetmeyer, who can have both aspects of the game, which is very hard. But it's why it's why it's an elite uh, elite position in most squads. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think that's I think that's well analysed and well put there, Santelki. I mean. I can't really add anything to it because I completely agree. And ultimately what people have to understand is if we're going to have a T20 anchor, it has to be one of the existing batsmen we already have who is given the responsibility and told, and that's why I keep saying Hetmeyer, and told you are going to bat deep in the Indians. I think Puran actually in one of the, I think it was after game three, Puran was interviewed and Puran said that he's being given that role at number four to dry when he comes in and if there's lots of overs left he's been told he's got to bat his way through so clearly like West Indies aren't just playing these games and they're not learning anything they clearly know what needs to happen it's mm. just about getting players to grips with their role um and have it sorted by the world cup and I think actually Santok it's worth mentioning as well yes Puran and Hetmeyer are are the next big things as far as we're concerned in West Indies cricket. But the team that won in 2012 and 2016, yes, we talk about the Gales, the Bravos, the Pollard, etc. But Puran and Hetmeyer weren't there. So yeah. I think, again, and again, I'm, I'm wary because people are going, oh, you're trying to give excuses, cop out. But actually, their level of experience isn't that high. Yeah. When you really properly deep it, what, Puran's played two seasons of IPL, Hetmeyer's played two seasons of IPL, they're still very immature. Mm. So... Actually, yes, they're surrounded by our gunslinger players who've been there and done that for the West Indies. But those two are the ones we're probably looking at in terms of learning to take on the responsibility and, and back deep in, in the inning. So this is going to take some time for them to, um, I guess, understand the role. Because remember as well, for their IPL franchises, neither one of them plays that role. Yeah, exactly. They only really play that role. In fact, Puran doesn't even play it for. Uh, um, I'm trying to think, even for Guyana. I guess Hetmeyer kind of closest would play it for Guyana. So this isn't. It's not like this is a role they know per se. Mm. Yeah, and it links back to what we're saying. Someone like Pollard or Russell, they've played fluently throughout so many roles. They can adapt, whereas Puran and Hetmeyer are essentially learning on a job. But Michelle, I'm going to throw a curveball here now. Obviously, all these games are at home, home conditions. So, which is the concern? Someone like a Kevin Sinclair is going to go to UAE, having never played for West Indies overseas, essentially. Um, and the World Cup will be his first assignment. We've obviously got Shafane Rutherford playing in the PSL in the UAE. Johnson Charles, he was part of the winning squads in the UAE for PSL. Would you consider players who aren't in the West Indies setup but playing in overseas franchise leagues in the coming months or as we've seen in the PSL? would you consider any of them to be added to the squad for the World Cup based on the fact that they have been playing in conditions similar or the same as the World Cup? Um, 1,000% I would. And actually, when we talk about openers, there is an argument to say, given what I think Johnson Charles must have won like four T20 titles in, the, in like the last year or something. If I'm Johnson Charles, I'm thinking, wait, why is no one talking about me? Mm. Um, look what I've been doing. So, yes, I think there's an argument for Johnson Charles. Will they think outside the box and bring him in? Uh, it's, 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 it's a tough one because certainly, obviously, not for Australia, but Pakistan series, who knows? Maybe they will. What if he has a strong CPL? Maybe you have to argue. Because I would, for example, I've been saying that 
Carlos Brathwaite's having a good T20 blast. Mm. So why should we not be considering? I'm not saying, when I say this, I'm not saying these people just walk into the side. I'm talking about in the squad. Yeah. Uh, as options. So, Carl, that's why I keep saying for T20s, it's about what form? What's your form saying? And if your form's yeah. on point, then you have to be considered. The only issue I have, and I really like Sherfane Rutherford, the only issue I have with Rutherford is I can't work out if he suddenly got into the squad, who's he replacing? In yeah. reality, who's he actually... That middle order, as much as they haven't fired properly um, um, during this T20 series... And it links into the next thing. In fact, I'll bring it up. As much as that middle order haven't fired properly, most of that middle order, if not all of it, are certainties. Santa, you, you, are you really dropping Hetmeyer? Are you really dropping Puran? Are you really dropping Pollard? Are you really dropping Russell? Are you really dropping Fabian Allen? Are you really dropping Jason Holder? All of those players, to me, are certainties. Mm. So the problem with a Sherfane Rutherford is who his form would have to be so elite that you'd have to 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 make a like a major call to drop one of those players. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's that's the problem with having. I guess that's the flip side of having so many established players in your squad. The pressure's always going to be on for them for to keep them in the squad. Like if you dropped a Hetmeyer for a Rutherford and West Indies lost the game, all blame would be on that decision selection decision. So, as you said though, it's something it's something they can best judge if Rutherford or Johnson Charles has a good. For instance, they're playing in the Lanka Premier League. If they have a good Lanka Premier League, then a good CPL. At that point, you'd have to say, hold on, they're putting a consistent run of form together against high-quality opposition in the build-up to a World Cup. It could be worthy worthy of an addition. But it's, it's, it's something we'll have to see over the coming months, I guess. For all we know, they could not perform in these tournaments and then it wouldn't be a question mark. But it's something there that which is kind of lurking. We do have options outside of the squad that can come in, even though there's not other domestic cricket going on in West Indies at the moment. But Mash, let's look at yeah, let's look at the positives. I guess we've talked a lot about the negatives, which is mm-hmm. um which is re- realistic, but also there were positives in the series. I think the pace bowling, it's a shame the World Cup's not in Australia, you could argue. The pace bowling looks quite good at the moment. Um Dwayne Bravo brought Dwayne Dwayne Bravo's back to his best. A lot of people had written him off. He's mm-hmm. come back, he's like peak Dwayne Bravo at the moment. Um Obed McCoy, probably the standout of the series for me. Yeah, and then obviously Fidel Edwards coming in decent performances as well. So the the pace bowling, and you've still got Sheldon Cottrell as well on the sidelines as well, who's someone who was playing in the IPL two years ago on a million dollar deal. So you, we've got a lot of and O'Shane Thomas as well, someone with a lot of potential. There's a lot of pace bowling options. The only problem is how effective is pace going to be in the UAE? Virtually none, non effective. You might need one or two, but generally it's going to be spin which wins you games in, in the UAE pitches. So I guess those are positives, but in the context of where the World Cup's being held, it's not necessarily important to us at the moment. Yeah, and I guess making that reference to the UAE, um, Bravo and McCoy, their importance in this series was crucial because what Bravo and McCoy have is variations. Yeah. So actually, as I agree with you in terms of out-and-out pace might not be super effective in UAE, but having McCoy and Bravo, who basically seem to be able to blow bowl slower balls, cutters, quicker ones, and you don't even know what's coming. Um, so having that variation will be crucial. And Obed McCoy probably has played himself into being undroppable at yeah, this point in time. So. And this is, I think that's why as well, we haven't seen Sheldon yet because obviously Sheldon's a left arm pacer as well. And the, the problem is how do you drop, oh, you can't drop Obed. So how does Sheldon get in? Which again, begs a question about, are we using Australia to experiment a bit more, give Sheldon some game time, O'Shane some game time, uh, Hayden, Hayden Walsh some game time. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on the bowling. Obviously, we spoke about the spin issue, but certainly um, some of the paces came through. Um, how are you, Jason? Yeah. Jason came back well in the middle overs. Uh, was a bit worried about what I saw from him in the power play. But again, Jason Holder is Jason Holder. He knows his game, so we don't really um, have to, to worry about him. And at the top as well, let's just quickly talk about at the top. Evan Lewis was our was our batsman of the tournament, most certainly. Yeah. And yeah. he looks he looks bang on form. Really and truly, and I, I said this to our um, our South South African friends over uh, Cricket Fanatics, and um, if our middle order had fired, we would have won every single one of those games, basically. I actually yeah. maintain it's the middle order that let us down. Yes, Shamsi's bowling. Yes, South Africa defended totals well. But basically, our middle order, if you, the, the one common theme I saw across those five games is that not enough of them came to the party and sometimes gave it away. So that's... That's going to happen less often than people think. So mm. if, if they've got that out of their system already, then brilliant. Uh, that's yeah. all good for me. But you know what, Santoki, we've been um, we've been chatting and chatting and chatting, but let's let's kind of bring this one to a close. This is a little yeah. quick-fire series review, this episode, but... Um, <laughs> oh, let's, uh, let's go. Let's ensure we cancel ourselves <laughs> and, and make this our final episode ever. <laughs> no, anyone who's wondering, oh, who's the next player that's going to come on? Listen, it's over. We our series we, ratings, we... No one's coming on ever again. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, you want, do you want me to go first, Santoki? If I yeah, just go, go for it. I'll give my rating, and then uh, you can you can give yours. <laughs> um, Right, Evan Lewis. Evan Lewis. Uh, I'll read out for every player. I'll read out the key stats. Um, yeah. So strike rate, hundred and sixty. I don't think batting averages matter, but I'll say it anyways. Thirty six runs scored, one hundred and seventy eight across the five games. Nine out of ten for me, Evan Lewis. Yeah, I was just going to say set nine. Pace, set pace every single at bat. Yeah, nine, and it was reassuring to see that one of our batsmen were consistently coming off in this series. So it looks promising for Lewis going forward. That one's uh, no controversy there. Spiceman only played two games, the first two. Um, strike rate, 118. Um, 33 was his average. High score of 35. Total runs, 65. Um, it's not really a good sample size, if I'm honest, to really say, oh, he was this. Um, the first, the second ODI, ODI, the second T20, he got like 35 from 34, but at one point he was like tw the, uh, 20 odd off like seven and basically yeah. spin choked him up. It's only two games. I'm going to say because it's a small sample size, it's a six for me. Yeah, I was going to say five because basically you might look at it on paper and say, all right, he scored over 30 in the two twenties he played. But as you said, in the context of being an opener, that could potentially be match losing innings, yeah, um, the strike definitely. rate, all that. So, in terms of his actual role and what he's expected to do, and the correlation between his performances, I'd give it five. But yeah, between yeah, but I, I agree. I'm bringing it down to a five as well, actually, yeah. because that second one, I, th I think I even tweeted it was a match losing. It was a match yeah. losing knock. He, although others obviously were part of that. Um, Simmons. So Lendl Simmons came in for the final three. Uh, yeah. Strike rate less than Fletcher's, 116. Top score 47. 
averaged 24. He had one good knock, which was the 47 from 30-something, 30 35 balls or something. I think that was in the fourth ODI. The others were low scores. Um, if Fletcher were saying five, Simmons has to be four then. <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah, I would say Flip Simmons, Simmons, Simmons has to be a four essentially, basically. So, so anyone, anyone looking forward to Lendl Simmons coming on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, wave those dreams by it. Goodbye now, yeah. Listen, I'm just, I'm just looking at the stats and the context. I said, listen, I said what I said. I said what I said. Um, no, if we're going to give Fletcher five, Simmons has to be a four. I can't see how we could argue, um, four and a half at best, just yeah. because, again, because of the nature of being an opener. Boy, listen, we're trying to get Chris Gale on the podcast, you know, but after I say what I'm going to say, chances are done. <laughs> Chris, Gale. So, Chris Gale um, came in at number three in four of the matches. Um, average 19, strike rate 119, top score 32. As you, uh, 32 not out, as in that was in the first game, I think. Um as you said, Santok, there was like a lot of sub-12 scores. Hmm. Yes, he got a wicket and open, uh, bowled a couple of overs or bowled an over in the power play. Um, Santoki. Yeah, it's a two it. for the universe, boss. It's a two. It's a two. two. I, so I'd given him two for batting, but then I thought the wicket and the bowling, I'd level it up to three. But I'm happy. I'm happy to settle for a two because... As you said, it, it was a disappointing series for Gale. As much as we love him as the universe boss, we got to be realistic as well in terms of in terms of what he did for the side. It was very little in this series, and that might not be his fault. He's obviously comfortable as an opener. This is a new role for him coming in age forty one, batting at three, um, which he hadn't done this time last year. He'd barely played any games at number three, so he's adapting to this role. But as you said, time is ticking, and if he wants to stay in the squad, you'd imagine he'd have to put up bigger scores in the Australia and Pakistan series. Shimron Hetmeyer. Played three in one of the matches and then four when Gale um, came back. Three matches, highest score 33, which was a final match. 33 from 30, average 19, strike rate 108, which was less than Gale, I hasten to add. Um, boy. Given, do you know what was Shimron? With Gale, we always go, well, he's 41. But Shimron doesn't have that excuse. Hmm. It's, man, a two. it's a two man, for Shimron. It's a two. <laughs> At one point, when you when you talked about the age, I, I thought it's, it's going to go into minuses. Out. <laughs> <laughs> no, because well, it know, has to be a two. Two? Yeah, two, yeah? Yeah, two, yeah. Boy, we're trying to get, we're trying to get this podcast cancelled out here. Huram. <laughs> <laughs> Puran played okay. all five games, vice captain, average 18, strike rate 104, mm. top score 26, which was off 26, basically scratched around for the whole series. Listen, um, Puran's yeah. my guy, you know, Puran's my guy, but it's a one. No, 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 no. Hold on. I'm going to have to cancel mash here. No, I would say, you know what? I would say three to four because obviously he, his batting was abysmal. His batting was, in terms of expectations, probably the worst in the side. 
I don't forget he was he as a wicketkeeper he performed well in the series. As in he 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 was confident, he he helped the side, galvanize the side. His he done his job as a wicket keeper. I didn't I don't think he underperformed. He there wasn't any drop catches that I can recall. There wasn't that many mistakes. Um so I would say a three purely because he ad, at least added something beyond the batting in terms of being a wicket keeper. Listen, I reckon that one is going to cause the most controversy, you know, about um, about Puran. Um, but can I just say about Puran, despite me giving the one, I would I, I would still play Puran in every single game yeah. that we play. He's still going to go to the World Cup. His place isn't under any threat whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, Pollard, uh, where are we? So Pollard, uh, I can't find him. Uh, Kyron, yeah. Strike rate, 143. Top score, 51 when we won the fourth uh, T20, 51 off 25 balls. Average, 22. Um, Pollard actually only faced 46 balls, which is basically less than everybody else in the top order. Um, yeah. And then his bowling, let's not forget the bowling as well. Um, yes, he only took one wicket, but... Um, he went at 7.5 in terms of economy rate um, across eight overs of bowling. Um, and obviously he's a captain as well. I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give Pollard a six. Yeah. I would say six just because as you said, there was more, he obviously bats lower down the order faces, less balls, but in terms of his bowling, he's willing to step up and kind of, um, stop the flood of runs when needed. He can still perform that role and his captaincy as well. We can't underestimate. He's still urging the side to reach their potential. He expects the highest from them, essentially. And you could see that in this series still. He still has this presence as a captain, which is massive for the side. Um, so, yeah, I would give him a six. Dre Russ. Okay. Oh, boy. This, this might get you banned from Jamaica, you know. Do you know what? I don't know... I don't, yeah, I'm not sure if I can even get into Jamaica after this one. <laughs> Dre Russ, average 16, top score yeah. 25, strike rate 151. With the ball, economy 9.57, four wickets. Mm. Uh, four wickets at 34. Um, okay, before I give the rating, though, what I will say about Dre Russ is at least he shows he's fit enough to now play yeah. both, both suits for the West Indies. And that will be crucial um, yeah. as time goes on. However, if we're saying for Puran and Hetmeyer that we know their potential, the same has to be said for Dre Russ. You do yeah. not expect Dre Russ, how many matches? He played all five. You do yeah. not expect Dre Russ to not get a score. I don't know. Oh, like some ridiculous strike rate score. Like he, he didn't really deliver in either suit. Um, Oh my god! I'd... You go first. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say three, three for Dre Ross because, in the context, it was his first return. It was his return to West Indies after how how long? Like two years out of the T20 side. Um, and also the fact he he still managed to bowl reasonably yeah. well, not great. He managed to bowl. The batting was abysmal. There's no hiding from the batting, but just the fact that he was able to bowl, show his fitness, and he was coming back into the side. He didn't like so. I think those aspects added up together. It'd be harsh to give him less than a three at this point. Do you know what? Before I say this, Jamaica, Jamaica, I love you. You know, <laughs> Trey Russ, Russ, you're my guy. But you know what, Santoki? One, one. Oh, well, you, know, you, 
have to get a wheel up. We all have to get a wheel up on that one. <laughs> you know, you know why I'm saying one though, because Dre Russ sets himself high standards. Yeah. I refuse to accept that he will be pleased with what he's done in this series. So on that basis, I'm saying one. Um, Jason Holder played three games only due to plan a planned rest, and rightly so um, for him. Uh, batting wise. Strike rate 116, top score of 20, average 18. He only faced 31 balls across the three games. Bowling, economy 8.11, two wickets across nine overs, going at um, 37 for his wickets. Mm. It's going to have to be a three for me. The thing is, if I'm giving Dre Russ one and that... (laughs) If I'm giving Dre Russ one and Holder is playing ex- kind of a similar role to Dre Russ, I'm giving Holder one and a half. Listen, you might not get cancelled. The yeah. next the next episode is just going to see an empty screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think people might people might be saying this and saying, "Oh, this is you guys are going over the top with these ratings." I think the players it's a credit to the players that they set such high standards. That even if we even we didn't even lose the series five nil, it was three two, pretty close series generally. But the fact that compared to what we know they're capable of and what we've seen and the performances in this, that's why we're given the low scores, I guess. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And um, like I say, similar with Dre Russ, I'm only saying that for Holder because I know that Jason wouldn't have been completely happy with what what he produced across the series. Uh, who is left? Bravo, uh, yeah. champion. I mean, with the bat, he faced nine... How many balls? He faced nine balls in the whole series. Uh, so yeah. it's irrelevant to talk about what he did with the bat. With yeah. the ball, he was our top wicket taker. Yeah. Uh, lowest economy rate from everyone who... From those who played five matches, 6.89, 10 wickets, average of 13. Best bowling figures in his career of four for 19. It might have to be a 10 for Bravo, you know? Yeah. Given he's 38 years old, it might have to be a 10. Yeah, because what else in the context? There was nothing pretty much he pretty much done as well as as he could in this series. Essentially, if he'd done any more, it would have been an unbelievable series. But it's, he essentially excelled um, in a series where most of the sides struggle. So, and bearing in mind the context of his age, I think you'd have to give him a ten for that performance. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Bravo was our man of the series, uh, and then after Brav, you've got um, Obed McCoy. Yeah, um, he'd he'd kind of shown against Sri Lanka what he could do. We're not going to talk about his batting, that's irrelevant. But for Obed, second highest, second lowest economy rate after Bravo, 7.05, nine wickets at 16, um, having bowled uh, and the best of four for 22. Do you know what? Obed's got to get 9.5. Yeah. I was going to say nine. Obed, Obed, performed, Obed performed really well. Uh, a lot of people might not have necessarily known his name before this series. But he's someone who really stood up in this in this series. And along with Bravo, they were, and Lewis, I guess, they were the three players of the series for us. And very quickly, just running through before we end off, uh, Fabian Allen, who I actually realised I'd forgotten. So Fabian with the bat had the highest average, if that even matters. Highest strike rate, 197. Um, high, uh, his highest score was 34. He had, he had two not outs because I don't know if you remember, Santoki, there were a few games where he was trying to salvage impossible situations yeah. at the end and just yeah. blasting sixes for fun. Um, he hit the second most sixes after Evan Lewis, despite on, 
Evan Lewis faced 111 balls and hit 13 sixes. Uh, Fabian faced 34 balls and hit seven sixes um, mm. in that time. Uh, and then with the ball, two wickets only. He'll be a bit disappointed with that, but the economy was only 7.60. Yeah. Uh, what's the same for Fabian? I'd say eight. It was a pretty good, pretty good performance. And as you said, like he's his ability with the bat. There was one, was it the third T twenty where he was hitting sixes towards the end, where it looked like he was about to chase yeah. um, a ridiculous score. So I, I would say eight. He was he was impressive. It's a shame he got injured, and hope that I hope that he's well enough to uh, play the Australia series, and we'll see more from him. Yeah, I back the eight, and I think Fabian's one of our certainties. He's like that. Yeah. He's undroppable um, yeah. for the West Indies right now, and then our. Final two, three, sorry, three, sorry. Let's move to Guyana. Kevin Sinclair, three matches, uh, two wickets, economy rate 8.11. He was poor in the first T20, but then came back strong um, mm. in the second T20 with two for 23. What, um, uh, what are you saying about... Um, oh, you know what? We've been judging everything on context. So based on the context, he's a young spinner, new to international cricket. I'd give him a six. Because he's he's improved from the Sri Lanka series, and that's what you want to see in young bowlers. We're not going to expect him to match, for instance, DJ Bravo figures at this point, just because of in, inexperience. So, based on the context of who he is and what stage he is at his career, I'd say it's a six six out of ten. Yeah, I agree with that. Actually, I think you're right to say context. Well, we, we got to be mindful of what we're expecting from him. Mm. Fidel Edwards came in for the final two two wickets, forty uh, two wickets. At 20, 2 for 19. He was poor in the first game, strong in uh, the final uh, T20, 2 for 19 off his three overs, I think. Economy, re- economy rate 8. Fidel is 39 years old. Are we going to persist with him? No. Oh, I snap. So. I don't think really? Fidel. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Straight I, no, you know. <laughs> No, you know, I, I was looking at it and just thinking when I was watching the match yesterday, I thought Fidel Edwards is essentially someone they're trying out just to see if he can perform. Unless he produces excellent figures, I can't see him. I, I could see him maybe in an enlarged squad to go into the UAE, but I can't see him playing for the West Indies in the World Cup. So what are you saying about his performance then? What, a four or a five or something? I'd say, it's as you said, it's hard based on two games, but and also taking into account his age, I would have given him a five. Yeah, I'll go with five. Because there wasn't enough to say he was terrible. There wasn't enough to say he was great. It was essentially almost what you'd expect from Fidel Edwards at this point. But yeah, no, it's a big, big call. We're not going to, let's not go into whether Fidel yeah. should go. That's another conversation for another time. The final player was a keel, but we won't give a keel a rating because he only no. played the last game. He only bowled two, uh, two overs. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit harsh to give him a rating. But. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that. That play rate. That's the first time we've done that, and certainly on such a. Um, usually, we save that for rum shot, where we know there's not a big enough audience to try and come for us. So, yeah. so if you don't see episode forty six, you know that Chris Gale sent someone for me, and we <laughs> and we were shut down. But, um, but um, ladies and gents, we hope you've enjoyed the ride. Um, that's been the series review of yeah. West Indies versus South Africa. Australia starts next week. Lock in for that five-match series as well. Santoki and I will be taking it all in. You've been and, great um, as usual. I was going to say, before before I forget, if you, wanna, if you want more of these uh, hot takes and debates, don't forget to follow us on our Twitter account, at Carib Cricket. You'll obviously um, see our opinions there, our player ratings. And so if you do want to cuss us out about our scores, just sign into Twitter and you'll find us there and... Yeah, we can have a back and forth. We're more than happy to. But yeah, Michelle, it's been a pleasure as well. 
talking West Indies cricket with yourself, giving the player ratings, and hopefully we'll be back for episode 46. Well, we'll, we'll know when we get the lawyer letters. <laughs> Ladies and gents, that's been, that's been episode 46 of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast in partnership with the Caribbean Premier League. Thank you and good night. Good night.